Welcome to Portraits of Honor. We stand in the swiftly fading shadow of our World War II veterans and heroes who united for a single purpose, to honor life, liberty, and justice for all. They were soldiers and sailors, airmen and mechanics, nurses and pilots, radio operators, ordinary people who did extraordinary things. Our mission is to preserve their stories, to bring their experiences to life for a new generation. This is our tribute, our act of honor. Through their words, we explore the essence of honor and remember the sacrifices that were made. For just the cost of a cup of coffee each month, you can help us preserve their stories. Visit portraitsofhonor.com to learn more. Join us as we journey back in time, as we listen, learn, and remember. This is Portraits of Honor. Let the stories of these heroes begin. This episode spotlights the heroic journey of Clayton Baum, a World War II U.S. Army technician whose brave service in the 268th Field Artillery Battalion led to his recent knighthood in the Order of the Legion of Honor by France. From landing at Utah Beach post-D-Day to the liberation of France, Baum's saga is a remarkable testament to courage and duty. This interview was recorded on November 19, 2021 at the San Diego Air and Space Museum. Thank you for being here. Thanks for um, being a part of this project. And I know that we'll uh, enjoy sharing your story with, with the rest of the world. Um, I'm going to start off with um, the basics. What's your full name? My name, Jeff, is uh, Clayton Bruce Baum. I'm uh, 98 years old. What's your birthday? June 1st, 1923. Okay. Mm -hmm. And I saw you have a nickname, right? Yes, they call me Boy. Where did that come from? When I had my when my first grandchild was born, I said, I'm too young to be a grandpa. <laughs> and uh, don't call me grandpa. And they said, what should we call you? And I said, boy. So even now that they're 35, 40, 50 years old, they still introduce me as boy and call me boy. <laughs> and I love it. Very good. Yeah. Keeps you young. <laughs> yeah. And where did where were you born and where did you grow up? I was born in Cleveland, Ohio. Okay. Uh, I attended uh, elementary, junior high, and part of my high school years there. And I moved to a little town called Brexville, Ohio, for my uh, to finish up my 11th and 12th grade. And it was a small town. Population about 3,000. Uh, it's a bedroom town to Cleveland, 14 miles outside of Cleveland. It had, um, it was part of the metropolitan system. It uh, ran from Cleveland all the way to Akron, Ohio, which was nothing but trees and creeks and rivers and streams. And the, uh, the Cuyahoga River and the, uh, uh, Erie Canal met there in Brexville. 
as you know, the Erie Canal ran all the way down to southern Ohio to the Ohio River from New York. And um, it was a lovely town. It was uh, one that would be equivalent uh, to an issue in Saturday Evening Post because it was so quaint. And everybody in town there uh, was uh, was somehow related, it seemed, you know, because after the after the uh, Revolutionary War, the people moved east, or west rather, into Ohio and that area there. And all the streets were named after some person. Uh, and the, they were a farming community and also a community for uh, doctors and lawyers and teachers and so forth. They, they loved the atmosphere there and the quaintness. Yeah. And uh, during the war, the uh, Veterans Hospital was built there. Okay. Now, what... Uh... Was it right after high school that uh, you joined the military? No. No, it wasn't. Uh, after high school, uh, my father had a grocery store in the, in the town. Okay. It was, and uh, I used to, when I was 16, I used to do all the delivering on Saturday. And every Saturday, we people would call in their orders and I'd uh, go one direction one time, come back and reload and go another direction and so I had all four directions and end up about 6, 6.30 at night delivering. It was a full day. And uh, so after I got out of high school, I wanted to seek my own fortune. Nobody wants to work for their father. They all want to start out on their own, you know. So I, uh, I uh, started in steel mill, unloading ore bolts, which was a very dangerous job. You, you did what? Unloaded ore bolts. Oh, okay. They came up the Cuyahoga River to the steel plants and uh, unload the ore, ore bolts. Yeah. And uh, big shovels would come down to the uh, and the hold, and uh, you had to dodge the shovels and and they scoop it up and. You'd scoop this ore so they can pick up more. Yeah. So anyway, uh, I did that for uh, several months, and uh, my family thought it was too dangerous because it was a very dangerous job. It was very dangerous. And um, so I got <laughs> my aunt worked in the Rockefeller Building, and she got me a job as an elevator operator. Now there were six elevators and a starter. In those days, uh, you, they had elevator operators. You didn't touch an operator operating. And it was an amazing place because the Rockefeller building was all um, filled with the uh, American Steel and Wire offices. Yeah. And they all had young ladies just graduating high school and working in the offices. Wow. And of course, there was 14 floors uh, of young women. <laughs> and uh, I never had trouble getting a date. <laughs> it was a remarkable point. 
But uh, I decided uh, this isn't what I wanted to do all my life. So I went and I got a job on the railroad yeah. as a yard clerk. And uh, I uh, put in a bid in for a job uh, that was uh, checking cars in uh, plants, like uh, uh, whether they're being unloaded or empty and so forth, and I'd call it in those terminal towers to see, so they could pull them because mm -hmm. they didn't want to pay to merge on them. Companies don't like to pay to merge on them. Empty cars sitting there. And uh, that was a good job because uh, I could whip that out in about two hours and then fill out my reports and call it in the terminal tower, and that was it. Then I decided my buddies were working at uh, uh, in Cleveland closer because I had to take a, a, a streetcar for about an hour, over an hour to get to the... So this place I could get there in about 10 minutes. Um, and uh, I was working in uh, a carbon, U.S. carbon, making carbon pipes, treating them. I worked in the chemical department, treatment department which wasn't very healthy because my hands got all yellow from the treatment, which wasn't too healthy. So I figured, okay, I'm going to stop this. This is ridiculous. So I went, I went to college, went to Kent State University. Kent State? Kent State, okay. yeah, went to Kent State University. And uh, uh, I, did one and a half semesters there, and uh, I was called into service at that time. My brother is two years older than me, and he was going to Hiram College, and they let him finish because he already had two, over two years of, and he had been in the National Guard, Ohio National Guard. Yeah. And his unit was already employed, you know. Mm -hmm. So. Anyway, but they let him finish his college, so he ended up yeah, a couple of years. Well, you ended up in Oklahoma. So you didn't have a choice of which branch of service, right? No, they throw you wherever they want you. They throw you wherever they want you. And they threw me in a, a quartermaster company. And uh, I was chosen to take the, uh, because of my and my grade, my point average and so forth, and the test, they retested me and offered me so I could go into OCS. And the company wouldn't release me, so I stayed there. And I became the armor artisticer. I trained uh, them on the 50 caliber machine guns and bazookas and so forth. Okay, was, what, what was, year was this? Uh, 43. Okay. 43. I went over to England in October of 43 on a ship uh, that was supposed to only carry about 4,000 people. That was a, uh, it was a ship that was captured during World War One from the British. It was British operated. Mm -hmm. And uh, there were nine, over 9,000 of us on that ship. Wow. Yeah, and uh, so we slept on, our unit slept on deck. 
we had that wave and going up around Iceland and so forth, the waves dashing over the, the <laughs> it was a miserable trip for 14 days going over, going on with convoy, which zigzagged, you know, they didn't go drive. Yeah. Were you assigned to a particular unit at that time? Yes, I would have assigned as a corpsman, still as as army artist. Or what unit? I was a Han 3013th quartermaster. Okay. And uh, so when we got got to England, uh, uh, we, 14 days we landed mm -hmm. uh, uh, in the 1st of 1st of 4th, 1st of Clyde. And uh, after 14 days, you pull into this beautiful Oh, beautiful, yeah. And uh, it's, uh, it was near Edinburgh. Okay. Yeah, it was in Scotland where he landed. You know, we took a train down to, piled um, the train and went down to uh, Kettering, which was uh, just outside of London. Okay. Um, and the Lord's Estate. They had tents pitched right in the tent, and it was, I, I was chosen to, to operate the uh, camp uh, uh, telephone at night. Okay. Yeah, and uh, there were several units there in the encampment, and um, I. One morning, as I finished, I went to go to the tent, and it was so foggy, I couldn't, I literally couldn't see my hand in front of me. Wow. I could not see. So, from there, we moved uh, down into uh, uh, Wales. We stayed at Wales and, and, uh, until uh, June, near June. And uh, then we moved into Ports, uh, Portsmouth, uh, England. Uh, England. Mm -hmm. We had a trip overseas. Uh, it was it wasn't on D Day. It was after D Day, maybe 10, 15 days. I, I don't remember. Mm -hmm. And uh, we landed. <clears throat> we uh, went over by LST. Mm -hmm. And. Uh, I remember hitting it with going ashore. We went ashore in landing crafts. And um, I remember going to the shore and it was at Utah Beach. And as if you're going up the cliff, there was a draw. Yeah. And going up that draw, I, there was a sign that said, St. Mary Gleese. I'll never forget that. Yeah. And I had the opportunity to go on the D-Day trip on the 75th. Oh, you were? Yeah, and they, I got to go there, and I stood and looked at the draw, and everybody was looking out at the ocean, <laughs> and I was looking at the draw when I went in at St. Mary Gleese. Do you remember what the view was like there on the beach? I, I know it's a couple of weeks it after was, D-Day. It, it was pretty, it was pretty cleared. It was pretty clear. But it was still a 
whole hustle and bustle of activity, right? Yeah, it's just a hustle bustle of activity. Unloading. Yeah, because you see, there was no pair to unload that they had to unload by, by uh, LST, uh, by uh, Heinecraft. And so, I, my first experience uh, uh, with contact was, uh, I was like, in charge of the machine guns, as they say, mm -hmm. and, and the other, I, 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 I hit the, I, um, everything was, all the farms were separated by hedgerows. Yeah. All the farms were always, the first place we had is go right against a hedgerow and dig in, you know? Really? Dig in at a hedgerow. And uh, I set up a, the 50 caliber machine guns for air attack. And uh, I no sooner got getting it set up and we got strapped <laughs> by German plane. You did? Yeah. And uh, that was the first time. And the second time, I was unaware we were strapped again. And uh, I, I can remember were you ready for it? I remember I wasn't some machine gun. <laughs> well, I dived into a, a hole. My best buddy in the, in the box hole. My best buddy, we hit it together. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, that was uh, the first experience. But uh, uh, St. Lowe was the big factor at that time. Mm -hmm. The fall of St. Lowell. And uh, it was a stalemate there for quite a while until the, the breakthrough of St. Lowell. And. Uh, what do you remember most about that? Uh, just moving forward, you know, in trucks and anything, you know. Pat was there with his tanks. And. He just cleared the way, and uh, he didn't stop, and he hit the uh, uh, Albrecht Canal in uh, in Belgium. That's where he ran out of gas. <laughs> he, he ran it until he could, <laughs> but uh, there were quite a few uh, tank battles, uh, and uh, of course, our tanks weren't as durable as what the German tanks were. They had the 88s on them. Yeah. And, uh, so anyway, uh, I was in four uh, battle zones, the uh, Normandy, uh, Normandy, Northern France, Central Europe, uh, no, Northern France, uh, Rhineland, and Central Europe. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, at the bulge, I missed the bulge. We were at the very edge of it when the bulge happened. And uh, I can remember Montgomery coming in uh, because he was asked to, to help to, to people uh, move some of his troops over to help at the Battle of the Bulge. Mm -hmm. He said he couldn't do it. He couldn't uh, get his troops over there. He's just to the left, left of us. Just, and, uh, Patton did, though. He was 100 miles away. Yeah. Yeah. It was a remarkable 
Patton was a remarkable man. I had the opportunity to meet his uh, grandson. You did? Yeah, on the seventy-fifth. Th oh yeah, he invited me over. We said the um, the D-Day operation. Uh, I didn't get on D-Day because my wife was ill, and I didn't. So they sent me on another trip on uh, that uh, we went to Paris and uh, boarded a uh, riverboat, which was 400 feet long. They're beautiful and all French cuisine, you know, it was really, oh, that sounds nice. really great. And uh, he asked me, Mr. Walters is his name, he asked me to sit at his table, dining table. And the first question he asked me, he says, you think my grandfather was killed, was murdered? And I said, I think so. And he says, uh, I don't So I, the only reason I thought so is because the first thing the Germans said when we beat them, many of them, you beat us, now you're going to fight the Russians. And Patton wanted to, he wanted to go out and fight the Russians. And they didn't want it. Mm -hmm. They didn't want it. And how he goes through the whole war and dies in a turnover jeep, doesn't make sense. The driver was all right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So anyway, that was that's my conclusion. I don't know. I might be entirely wrong, but <laughs> anyway, uh, uh, I experienced a, a lot of uh, a lot of things, like uh, the displaced persons. We hit a town called Coldshide, where they made the uh, alcohol, what drove the buzz bomb. And uh, all the DPs there, displaced persons, they were probably French and so forth, whatever they could collect yeah. <laughs> to work there. Mm -hmm. They were all drunk on it. They had been drinking it. And uh, they mixed it with egg white. They claimed that that did what? Egg white. Oh. They said that's how I'm getting from drinking it or something like that. But anyway, uh, undisplaced people. Uh, at the end of the war, we, came, we had a lot of German prisoners. At that time, I was transferred into a, into an artillery outfit. And some of us uh, were transferred into 29th Division. Okay. And uh, where, where were you at the time? In in, uh, in Germany, just just before we went into Germany. Okay. Yeah. Uh, see, I was at uh, Tongren, which is um, just outside of Aachen. Aachen. Okay. Uh, and uh, and Belgium is. I mean, Holland is right there too. Maastricht. Yeah. Is right there at that point. And. Uh, I can't say that I did anything great. I can say that uh, I, this fellow's my office that did. What would you say is your most memorable time, your most vivid memory when you were over there? I think there was a, a German in our, uh, German born fellow in our office yeah. called Guthau. And, uh, uh, he 
spoke fluent German. I uh, did some Germans and some French. I did have some stuff that, that uh, I was able to assist our, our unit with, but he was fluent in German. And uh, I got to interview a, uh, a German, he's about 19, 20 years old. He interviewed him. And this gentleman was saying how he got up one morning and looked out and he saw so many ships, he couldn't believe them. How many ships were out there? You know, he said, it just amazed him. But he was certain that they were still going to win the war. At that time? Yeah, he still was certain they were going to win the war. And uh, I, I think that um, I think that uh, some of the friendships I had, cause I lost some, like Tassie who stepped in, a, stepped in a booby trap. One of your friends did? And, and another one uh, got the 88 right on top of his head. Mm. And another one got the machine gun to his legs. And Harris, he got killed because of the I did a lot of writing for my unit. I did a lot of writing just for the, for the guys that were in my unit, their wives answering Dear John letters and so forth, you know. Mm. And uh, my, the captain of my unit used me for, uh, in many ways for writing things. Do you think about those much anymore? Yeah, they, every once in a while they come into my mind. Every once in a while they come into my mind. But, uh, you know, I, I forgot all about this whole war. And, so, and I don't think I've ever mentioned it at home. But uh, when I got on the honor flight, it brought me back into, into the into the military, more or less, the military mind of what accomplished and what was done. And and, uh, and then I got, the, got on the Valor flight and then on the, on the uh, flight on D-Day flight. My son got the opportunity to go with me. It was all taken care of. He was my guardian. Yeah. Um. When you think about you know, those trips that you were able to go on and go back and see Normandy and other places, you know, what what does it mean to you oh, so many years later? It meant everything. Because I often thought about wanting to go back. Yeah. And I, here's an opportunity they gave me to go back. And in such style that I could never. We stay in the in the chateaus uh, uh, for three days too. Yeah. And uh, from there we operated around Normandy, and those Normandy people were so grateful, so grateful. People around Paris and that are, then again, they don't care. But Normandy is something entirely different. We went to a farmhouse there, um, and uh, 
I sat in the bus because it was raining, but everybody else went in. I was the only veteran on that flight, on that deal. All the rest were graduates of uh, West Point, Annapolis, uh, Virginia Tech Institute. Uh, they all were retired uh, with their wives, and, and people who are wealthy, and they treated me like you can't believe. I never had my picture taken so much in my life, <laughs> really. And then when we got into Normandy, all, everybody come up and thank you for saving our nation. I got to lay the leaf, the wreath at, uh, at Omaha Beach, at the main cemetery there. And I got to lower the flag with uh, Mr. Walters. Mm -hmm. We were introduced as, uh, at that time. And uh, the French, uh, a big crowd of French and Americans sat around. And after the ceremony, they all rushed us. And um, General, uh, Mr. Mrs. Walters, uh, she was all, hey girls, come over here. People, come over here. Here's a veteran from World War. And she'd gather them up, you know, and they'd all come running over. And until I started to say, and that's General Patton's grandson. Then they're all over there, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so it was it was a, a lot of fun, and uh, it was a, a good experience just to review that. They they really know how to honor you. They do, and you know that's they, why we're doing this is to honor you and all the veterans. And what what does that mean to you? The concept of honor. I never thought about it until I, they start honoring. <laughs> I, I did what everybody else did. No. Yeah. <laughs> I deserve any special honor. The honor I think that it's deserving is that my son who lost his life in Vietnam. He was he was a hero because he didn't come back. Uh, that's what I hear over and over again is from the veterans like you. Those who didn't come back are the heroes. That's right. That's right. So this honor to me, uh, I don't think, think I deserve it. I really don't. But uh, I'm grateful for it. Well, I'm glad you could experience it. Yes, my pleasure. What do you miss? most about your time in the service? Um, frankly, I was just in school. That's all, you know. Uh, Maybe I, I, I don't regret going in. I don't regret that. And uh, if it came, to, if I had my choice again, I would have volunteered because I love this country so much. I believe it. So I, I want to ask you uh, what you did after the war. After the war? I know one thing you told me earlier. Share that with me. You came home to... Oh, yes. My good friend, Sam, Sam D'Angelo, 
Everybody was got their job back, you know, when they came back from the service. Everybody got their job back. Well, that's good. Yeah, they got their job back. And he had worked for Marshall Drug Store. He worked in the, I don't know, sundry department or something. And uh, I dropped in to see him. And there was this girl behind the counter. And uh, it was amazing. Uh, I thought it was, gee, uh, she's pretty nice. And uh, so he introduced me to her. And I asked her for a date. And uh, I met her in January, engaged her in February, and married her in August. <laughs> but when I, uh, one day um, before we married, before we, we just had a couple of dates, she said, uh, do you know Clifford Baum? I said, that's my uncle. She says, well, he used to take me as, when I was a little girl to his, he was a self-ordained minister. He used to take me to his Sunday school. He lived next door to him. Okay. And then when she was working in the, the factory, Doe Beckman, she was working with a, uh, a girl that was my aunt. <laughs> and the same aunt was in high school with her high school class. Now you talk about the coincidences, yeah. right? And then on top of it, the same doctor brought us. <laughs> so I, I, it was a match made by God. Yeah. And uh, <clears throat> so uh, when I first came back, uh, I, went to, I went to Hiram College. And I spent a semester there. And then, of course, I was, I was getting engaged. And I said, this is no way to raise, to support my family. So I quit college and went to, went to work in the, my dad's grocery store because it, it, it was a very, it was, it was a going business. And uh, my dad eventually wanted me to take over and take over the store and he wanted to retire. Mm -hmm. Well, let me, Kind of wrap it up with, uh, this is a question I ask a, a lot of veterans is, uh, what is, do you have any advice for younger generations? Just in general, life advice, I guess. Yes, bring this country back. Bring the history of this country back, as it is written, and honor your flag and your mother and father and God. I'll come back to honor, doesn't it? That's right. This podcast is a charitable supported public service. To learn more about the veteran featured on this podcast, please go to portraitsofhonor.com. There you'll find more stories, portraits, and ways to be part of this act of honor. Every day, a few hundred World War II veterans pass away, and soon they'll all be gone. For the cost of a few cups of coffee each month, you can help us support the mission to give all these deserving veterans their portrait of honor and record and memorialize their stories forever. 
please go to portraitsofhonor.com today to make your donation and show your support. Leave us a review and share this episode. By remembering the past, we can inspire a better future. Join us next time on Portraits of Honor. <laughs>